The gospel this week, and actually the following two weeks, will be in the 25th chapter of Matthew. And the 25th chapter of Matthew is all about the end. That is, it's all about death and judgment. So, this morning, thinking about death, and secondly, some things can't, you can't borrow. So first, thinking about death. Thinking about death isn't something that we do much of. We don't like to do it. We even use euphemisms around death. We say, you know, that he passed away or the departed. As much as we don't like to talk and think about death, the church, on contrast with that, encourages her faithful to think about death. And it sets aside an entire month, the month of November, to, to think and meditate upon our own death. You know, it's always been encouraged to do that. And you even think back to like to the traditional um, bedtime prayers for, for little kids. You may have learned the traditional prayers or, or as a kid and your parents taught you or you've taught your kids, you know, and just think of the bedtime in general and bedtime, it's a very like tender and quiet, cute time with little, putting little kids to bed. It's like very tranquil. You know, you got, you know, mom and dad places Johnny in bed. And he lies down. Johnny's head hits the pillow. He smiles. The covers go on up. He gets a little comfortable smile on his face. And then maybe dad gets on one knee and says, okay, Johnny, now let's recite our, our nighttime prayer. And they say together, now I lay me down to sleep. It's like, oh, that's such a nice, this feels so good. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's like, there you go, Johnny. Like, I'm going to turn the lights off now. Sweet dreams. Have fun thinking that you might not wake up in the morning. It's like, what kind of sick and twisted prayer or sick and quit twisted parents say that to their little kid when they go to bed. But in fact, it's a great prayer. It's an important prayer. And maybe it's most especially important for, for adults to think about death. You know, I, was, I buried someone just a number of months ago. Her name was Ruth. Amazing woman here. There's a meeting with the family. She had four, four children and there's a meeting with the family. The children made a point to tell me that mom, they just remember mom, all, she always prayed to have a happy death. She always, mom always prayed to have a happy death. You know, and that's actually, you know, again, a traditional thing. There's, there's prayers and, you know, to, to, to pray to have a happy death. But I just got to thinking, like, what does that mean to have a happy death? It's really, it's, it can mean on two levels, like on a subjective level and also on an objective level. Like, a, so a subjectively happy death has to do with the circumstance of the death, you know, where, you know, and so Ruth, this woman, for example, she died in old age, 91 years old with her four children at her bed. Beautiful. It was beautiful. But that's not always the case. We know some of us, you know, I, I have burned in my memory sometimes. I was at a, 
at someone's deathbed and they, they literally reached from the bed and pulled by the collar one of their loved ones down to them as they said, I don't want to die. And of course, just, you know, tragic deaths. You know, there's, there's, there's nothing happy about those. They're, 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 they're awful. But in the end, death is either objectively happy or it's objectively sad. Death is objectively sad if the person goes to hell. And it's objectively happy if they go home. And it is possible to have an objectively or it is possibly to have a, a subjectively happy death, but have an objectively sad death, and vice versa. Which brings me, secondly, here to some things you just can't borrow. You know, there's part of the parable that we just heard, the part of the parable that just doesn't seem to make much sense. It sounds like Jesus is praising these five virgins for being selfish. You got 10 virgins, five wise, five foolish. The, the, the five of them have enough oil. Five of them don't. These five who don't turn to the five that do, that have enough and say, can we have some of your oil? And they say, no, go get some yourself. It's like, what's up with that? And you ever hear the, the, the importance of share, sharing? Jesus has got to be getting to another issue, another point. He's making a point in the parable. And the key is, what is the oil? What's the oil? And the best way, to, I think, to, to describe what the oil is comes in the marriage ceremony. When, it, when the bride and groom stand right here bef before the priest or deacon, and before they can get married, the priest... Or the deacon asks him a question. He says, have you come here to enter into marriage? Which, by the way, what's the parable? It's a parable about getting into the marriage banquet. He says, have you come here to enter into marriage without coercion, freely, and wholeheartedly? And I need to hear them both say yes. I need to hear them both say it. Otherwise, they, they're not getting married. Nobody can come up and on their behalf say yes. Nobody on their behalf can say I love you. That's the oil. That's why it can't be borrowed. And so the church does encourage us to think about death, but thinking about death isn't enough. St. Alphonsus Liguori wrote, wrote a book called just on the preparation for death. And in there he says this, it is folly to not think of death. It is greater folly to think of it and not prepare for it. So to be clear, the five foolish virgins, they were not evil people they ultimately did get the oil. Like they had the oil at the door. In that sense, they're no, they're no different than the, than, the, than the wise virgins. They had the oil. They were not evil. They were simply lazy. They were unprepared. They didn't prioritize in planning for the long haul. They lived for the now. 
And when the time came and ultimately they went to the door and they knocked, the door represents just the time of death. And the answer on the other side is judgment. They were, they were subjectively happy. They had, it's like, they're knocking on the door. And what was the response? The bridegroom, Jesus' response was a surprising, shockingly disturbing answer. I do not know you. Because you can't share the oil which is maybe to go back to Ruth here, when I visited her in the hospital and I gave her last rites, at one point as I kind of got right up next to the bed and um, right there next where her head was and I pulled out a crucifix and I placed a crucifix in front of her, her, her face before her and as I just held it there, she smiled and says, oh yeah, as she could barely speak, very whispering, very weak, she said, I know that guy. And it wasn't, I know that guy, like I know facts about him or I know what he did or things that he said. The I know that guy was a tender, gen very intimate, I know him. I'm friends with him. I love him. I've prioritized him. Nobody else is just in the sixth grade, sixth grade confirmation class was standing in there. Nobody's telling them now you your parents faith, your parents, what they did when you stand before judgment, no one else's faith can stand in for you. No one else's love can stand in for you. And so the question for us is just, I think this is, do I know him? Do I know that guy? Do I love him? Have I prioritized him? So think about death. We want to think about death, maybe especially here in the month of November, even maybe going to bed. And as the traditional bedtimes, children's prayer makes the point to say, you may not wake up. But we can, as Christians, as St. Paul says in our second reading to Thessalonians, as Christians, we look at death and we can have great hope. Because one has conquered death, went to the cross, died for our sins so that we don't have to die and that we can live forever.